All right, week three. It won't be long. We'll be in a Christmas series. So Christmas. This anybody else feel like this year has just really flown by? Like, yeah, like summer. Do we have summer? Because I don't even remember at this point. I feel like that was that's a thing of the past. Um, time time just flies. And I, somebody was asking me the other day, like, what's the difference now that you're you're like the senior pastor of a church versus just on staff at a church. I said, well, the reality is Sunday comes every single week, which means there has to be a sermon. And so at some point, God has to speak, and he's got to tell me what the people need to hear because if not, we're just going to be sitting here in awkward silence with each other going, what's, what's going on, right? And so Sunday just always seems to come. So time is flying. I don't know if that's just as we've gotten older. I, I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm still struggling with this being 40 thing. So I'm trying to trying to figure. It. Some of you told me that's still young, and that's fine. Um, but I can tell you, I, I'm still questioning that Bible verse where it says that that having gray hair is like a sign of wisdom. Is it? Because I don't think that that verse was intended for me. Because I don't feel like I've gotten any wiser. Um, anyway, I don't know what that had to do with anything. But Acts chapter 17, verse 6. We've been talking about, uh, we, we've spent this whole process of talking through the summer about the, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus really getting down to the keys that there has to be a death unto ourselves, that we cannot accomplish anything on our own without the power of Jesus. And in John, he tells his disciples that there's one that's going to come, and when he comes, he's going to be your helper, your counselor, your your guidance, he's going to give you enlightenment to what, the, what these things mean. And there was this promise that was made. And then when we get into the book of Acts, Jesus reminds him in Acts chapter 1, he's about to descend and go back into heaven. And he says, I want, I want you to know that you're going to be empowered. There's going to be a power that's going to come upon you. And when that power comes upon you, he's going to live in you. He's going to dwell in you to be, listen, this is where we mess this up. He says, you'll be empowered so that you will be my witnesses to all of the things that you have, that you have seen and all the things that have been done. Uh, that empowerment is for us to be a voice, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And what we see through the book of Acts, as we've talked about, there's these two kingdoms that are taking place. We have a kingdom of heaven, which is ushered in through us, his people. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a whole different way of life versus this kingdom of the air or kingdom of darkness that we see every single day that is trying to creep in and continuing to try to take over our culture. And in the book of Acts, he, as, after Jesus has set up this whole thing through the Sermon on the Mount, he set up this whole thing about the coming of the Spirit and, and that we live in this different kingdom, he begins teaching them this one last thing to say, listen, you may not know how to do this, but I'm going to give you guidance, counsel, and help through the Holy Spirit. And so he tells them again in Acts chapter 1, his last words of departure, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you will be my witnesses. And Jesus leaves. And as he leaves, we, we saw the passage that the disciples are just standing there in this moment of crisis of now what? He's gone. What am I supposed to do? And the angel has to come back to say, hey, um, go. <laughs> that would be a good thing. But before the Spirit comes, they, they have to wait. There's a waiting period. And they wait, and in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fills them. It comes upon 
each of them. There's a mighty sound of a, a mighty rushing wind. There's a fire that appears on their tongues and over their heads. They begin speaking these languages, and they become witnesses to the millions of people that have come upon Jerusalem for the Passover and to celebrate. And the church takes its first steps forward in its journey through the people, through broken, everyday people. And then when we get to Acts chapter 17, there's this story about a guy named Jason. And Jason, he brings in Paul and some of the other of Paul's followers, and he, he houses them. Because he's excited about the good news that's being shared. And Paul did something really bad. Paul converted Greek people to be followers of Jesus. The Jewish church people got really upset about this. They couldn't find Paul and his guys. So they decided, we'll just go to Jason's house. And they broke into Jason's house. And they dragged Jason out of the house. And they began threatening him. And this is the, this is the statement that they make about Jason in verse 6. When they could not find him, talking about Paul, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to do the same. Because they were proclaiming that there is a king. It is not Caesar. The king is King Jesus. And as they push this, this message forward, it causes some hostility with the religious people. Hey, well, I believe that when we truly preach the gospel at its core of what it is, it rattles the religious. It, because Jesus was not about religion. There's teachings that he was about. There's, there's a life principle. There's, there's, I don't want to say life principles because I don't want to get that caught up in this weirdness that we have out here in the culture. of Like, well, however you feel is how you feel. No. Um, but Jesus was all about the relationship between him, Right? What are the greatest commandments? Love, love God, because everything else flows through that. I can't love my neighbor if I don't love Jesus. I can say that I love my neighbor. I can do kind things for my neighbor. I can give them sugar when they need it and come over. But I can't truly love them the way that Christ loves them if I have never been in relationship to understand how to love God. You understand this? This is why I have a problem. Like when people want to date, you know, we're going to date this girl. Will she love Jesus? She goes to church. No, that's not what I said. Right? Because if she doesn't hold to the values and the standards, or he doesn't hold to the values and standards of who Jesus is, and they say they love you, guess what? They don't know what that is because they don't know how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right? So the Bible says that they met together. Now this, is, this is after being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this is not on the screen, but I just want to read you kind of what happened. Because it says in Acts 2, chapter 42, I mean, excuse me, Acts 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. You know what devoted is? That is committing yourself. That is being intentional. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were committed to learning and to hearing and having conversations back and forth. So they were committed to that. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship Right? They, they made sure that they were devoted not only to hearing of the teaching and putting themselves in, in position to hear right teaching, by the way. You've got to be very careful. There's sheep, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing out there. But they're devoted to the teaching and to the fellowship of, of being around one another because they understood if this is going to work, we've got to be around like-minded people who are held to the same standards that we are from the Scriptures. And we need to be around those people who iron sharpens iron. 
And he said that they're, they're committed to teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. They were taking communion together, eating together, were being reminded of this story that Jesus had given his life for them and that his body was being represented from the bread and his blood was being symbolized by the wine. And they were devoted to these things. And I want you to catch this last one because I think this is the most understated piece of the church. He says this, that they were devoted to prayer. Prayer is always the last resort, it seems like. Or prayer becomes our first thing when we are in need. But what's happening in the in-between time? Now, this is the markings of the church. Because even when we go back to Acts chapter 1, it says that when they waited, they were praying. They were praying. Because a lot of us want to see the, the Holy Spirit move, and we want to see all these great things in the book of Acts take place. But let me tell you something. Those things do not take place if you've not had time to be in prayer. You've you got you to gotta be in a place of prayer. You've got to be in a place of seeking and finding. So they, they met together. They ate together. They shared together. They told other people about Jesus and what they were experiencing together. That seems very mundane. But can I tell you that the habits that we develop in the mundane, in the everyday, is where God works mightily. Don't, don't underestimate your prayers. Don't underestimate that time that with you, you, when you're in that disciple group with one another or you're going to have lunch with that friend who's a follower. Don't devalue that. The Spirit is always at work. But if you're not devoted to these things, you will not see the Spirit at work because you'll still be seeing with a different set of kingdom eyes instead of the kingdom of heaven. You cannot turn the world upside down until the Holy Spirit has turned your world upside down. It's easy to want these things. There's a lot of things that I want. But if I don't put effort towards those things, I've been learning the piano um, I graduated college in 2001, and I took a piano class, and I have been learning piano ever since. You know, you know how many, y'all ever seen me play piano before? Okay, have you ever seen me and heard me play the piano well? There's a reason for that. I don't play the piano. I have a want to do it, but I haven't done it outside of one class that was not, didn't go very well. I'll just say that. Did not go very well. You, there's got to be something that happens in you. There's got to be a desire. This is why they were devoted. They, they were willing to give, and they did. They gave their lives to the cause of Jesus, even until the point of death. Now, I hope it never comes to that for us. But are we even willing to sacrifice and give our lives give of our time and our treasure and our abilities and our talents to further? the kingdom of God. We grow and we are shaped when we are praying and when we are in the word. God uses extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. When I look through the scriptures and I look through these disciples, I mean, if you would have told me in the book of Matthew that this guy named Peter was going to start a movement in the book of Acts, that ain't the way that story looked. Y'all with me on that one? Like you read about Peter, it's like, this, this guy, how did he even get picked? 
Like, did Jesus just feel sorry for him and pull him? And you look at guys like Matthew, who was a tax collector. He was an enemy to his own people, and he gets picked. You have Thomas, who wasn't even sure. I mean, you think about all these people that got picked. They were ordinary, untrained men. And there were women that followed too, by the way. Matter of fact, there is a belief out there that the book of Hebrews was written by Priscilla, who was a woman. I like to think that's right because the writing seems a lot cleaner and it makes a lot more sense than some of the things that Paul wrote. Got an amen there? So let me give you three points this morning about turning the world upside down. People who turn the world upside down spend time with Jesus. That's where it starts. Because you can't turn the world upside, to, upside down until you had your world turned upside down. That's just what it is. There is a story in Acts chapter 4. Peter, Peter and John are arrested for preaching. This seems to be a, a common occurrence. that you know, They pray. They're like, all right, we're going to get arrested. It's just going to happen. We're going to preach, get arrested. Sometimes they're going to stone us, but we're probably going to get arrested. And in Acts chapter 4... This is exactly what happens. They, they get arrested for preaching and proclaiming because, remember, the Holy Spirit has filled them to do this very thing. They're just doing what they've been gifted to do, which was to be a witness to the gospel. So they're proclaiming it and preaching it. And then the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, 13. Now, when they saw, listen to this, when they saw the boldness, you've got to remember, we think that it was this Christian group that they were preaching to. There was a lot of hostility to, with the people that they were preaching to because they were literally uprooting and saying, everything you knew with Judaism, that it was all about all these things that I do, and saying that Jesus was the Messiah and he was the promised one, that was, to the Jewish people, was preaching heresy. This is why a lot of them got mad. You remember, they were cool with Jesus at a distance, but the moment that he proclaimed to be the Messiah and be God is when it really got nasty with the, the churched people, Right? And it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. They were astonished. And this is the line that has always stuck out to me in this passage. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Because it, you cannot go into the presence of Jesus and experience him and walk away the same. It just doesn't happen. Because there's something that happens in that fellowship and that communion with God that we, we walk away changed. You, you get what I'm saying? There, there's, this, there's this understanding because people knew who Peter and John were. But yet they were amazed because like, I know Peter, that dude's not educated. He's from Galilee. He was a fisherman that wasn't even a very good fisherman. And John, well, he hung out with Peter, so he's guilty by association. And it, and it says that their boldness, that the people who were hard-hearted recognized what was being preached, what was being said. And their hearts are being opened. Now, many of the other ones are not, but the ones that were these... With spirit eyes, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. If you want to turn the world, and by the way, we, we're turning this world upside down for his kingdom. That's, people miss that part too. 
you got to spend time with Jesus because how are you going to know what your marching orders are if you're not spending time with Jesus? He, he, there's something specific that he wants to tell you in your time with him. Now, we can get really, really legalistic with that and say every morning at 6 a.m. you should get up. No, 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 no. Find ways for the word to get into you. We always tell people you should get in the word. No, no, don't get in the word. Find ways for the word to get into you. If, if you have a hard time reading and figuring it out, download the Bible app and listen to it. Listen to it in your car if that's the only time of peace that you get. Might help some of that road rage, you know what I mean? Listen, get the word in you. Read, listen, hear, whatever it takes. Because I'm promising you that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. But if we don't make the space for that to happen, we miss out on what he wants for us. So we have to, to be with Jesus. How, how incredible would it be for you to walk into your place of employment and people go, they must have been with Jesus because this, the way that they treat me, the way that they act, the way that they carry themselves, it, it, they must have been with Jesus. There's an old story. about um, it's, it's an incredible book if you can find a copy of it because it, for some reason it went out of print. But he's an old youth pastor. He was in his 60s. His name was Mike Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli wrote this book called Messy Spirituality. And, and a lot, one of the quotes in that book, he says, the, it's talking about consistency. He says, I am most consistent in being inconsistent. That is my consistency. And, and he talks about this journey and spirituality of, of it's how messy it was. It wasn't as clean cut as we get. But he shares a story in that book about another youth pastor. That this youth pastor's pastor told him, I want you to take the youth to the nursing home every weekend. And he was like, I don't, I don't like the nursing home. He said, well, it doesn't matter. You're the youth pastor. You lead by example. Take them. He said, well, pastor, are you going to the nursing home? He said, no, that's why I've hired you to take the youth to the nursing home. That's typically how it works with youth pastors if you've never been there. Um, so he, he, you know, with, with trying to put on the best attitude, he loads these kids up in this van and he drives them to the local nursing home and he says, just go. And they're like, what do we do? He says, I don't know, just go and love people, talk to people. And he sat, he sat back in the lobby and he was just waiting for the time and to tick down so he could just load them back up on the bus because in his mind he had done what he was called to do, which was to drop them off. But what he didn't know was the Holy Spirit was about to do a work in his life. Because he gets up from that lobby and he goes looking for a kid and he walks into a room where there's a gentleman laying there. And the guy says, hey, and he realizes, gosh, he saw me. I'm stuck in conversation. So he sits down, and he began having this conversation with this guy. And not just every weekend, but every week, Monday to Friday, he was stopping in, having this conversation. One day he walks in to see him, and they said, hey, we're, we're sorry to tell you this, but he passed away this week. And he said his whole world just kind of collapsed because he had built this friendship with this guy in this place that he didn't want to be in, but the Spirit had led him to, and he had passed away. He's, and the nurse told him, but the family's here, and they don't know your name because before he passed, he says he wanted to see Jesus. And they said, Jesus, you're going to see him when you pass away? They're like, no, 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 Jesus comes and sees me every single week. And he sits at my bedside and he has a conversation with me. What would it feel like to be mistaken for Jesus because we spent time with him? The, the last hours of that man's life, he was comforted by the presence of Jesus coming out of someone. 
to the point that he was absolutely mistaken because the words that he spoke, the care that he gave, looked a lot like Jesus. I, I believe our world would be a much better place if we would find time to spend with him. There is no substitution for spending time with Jesus. We need to be in his word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be devoted to these things. So spend time with Jesus. Also, if you want to turn the world upside down, don't just spend time with him. But now you have to be obedient to the things that he calls you to do. That's the hard part. I'm going to be honest with you. There are times I'm spending time with Jesus, and he tells me I should do this, and I'm like, I don't think you understand. It would be better if y'all find yourselves negotiating back and forth with God with these things. Well, God, I don't think you know. But God, if I did it this way, it would be better. I don't think you know this person. I don't think you fully understand the situation. But see, God's not calling us to negotiate. What he's calling us for is a yes attitude of saying, listen, in full obedience, I surrender, I give, I will do whatever it is, however it is. Remember what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Like that's the mark of love of Jesus is that we're saying, hey, I love you and, and, and I want to turn the world upside down, but I don't know if I want to do it that way. And, and he says, listen, if you want to do that, there's, there's this obedience that has to take place. We see this play out in Acts chapter 16. It says, when they had come to, to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Okay, you catch that? They wanted to go somewhere and Jesus said, mm -mm, you're not going there. You're not going there. Now, they could have been like, well, I know Jesus said not to, but those people need the gospel, so I'm going to take it in there anyway. But I want you to follow what happens. It says that Jesus did not allow them to go into that place. So passing through, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Because See, Paul, when you spend time with Jesus, your spiritual radar is going off. When you pray, pray it is a spiritual radar that is happening. And he says that Paul was, was at night had this vision and there was a man in Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. But Paul's heart was to go to one place that the door had shut. And God was using this vision to give Paul the next part of their, their mission of what they needed to do. And so he says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God's calling some of you to go to Macedonia. You know what I mean? There's some people in Macedonia that need the gospel right down the road. But here's, what I want, here's the question that I ask you with this. Paul had a, had a heart to go to this one place, and Jesus shut the door. And he could have done it, but he didn't do it. But instead, God uses his moment of, of quietness and stillness to direct him to a different place. And by the way, because he went to Macedonia, he ends up in Thessalonica, where we end up getting his two letters his two powerful letters to the people of Thessalonica. Are we flexible with the voice of God? When, when God asks us to do, are we flexible to say, yes, whatever that means. Whatever it means. How quick are we to change our plans when God speaks? I'm asking you questions. I'm not giving you an answer to those questions. I can't answer those questions for you. But I can tell you from, from experience, it's tough to do that. Change plans. We don't like delays. We don't like plans. And especially if you are a planner, this is very difficult. If you're not on time somewhere, this is very difficult. 
but are we flexible to the voice of God? Because you can spend all this time with Jesus and not be obedient and get nowhere. It's in this time with Jesus that he gives us things. This is why you'll hear us use this language of, God, show us what we need to be obedient to. Show us what you want us to hear. Give us our next step. Tell us what we need to do. Because there's obedience points throughout the scriptures when we're reading. By the way, when you're spending time with Jesus and you're in the word, ask yourself, what is he asking me to be obedient to here? What is he asking me to be obedient to? You want to turn the world upside down, spend time with Jesus, be obedient to those things. And here's the last thing. If you want to turn it upside down, you've got to proclaim the gospel boldly. You can do it because you've been given power, but for so long we said we can't do that. I don't have a gifting to do that. You don't have to have a gifting to do it. You've been empowered to do it. You have the second greatest story ever told. The first one is the gospel message of Jesus. But your testimony is the second most powerful story that you could ever tell. Because I can't argue with what the Lord is doing in your life and, and where he has brought you. You think about where, where you were before Jesus. You think about situations in your life where it seemed like they were hopeless and but God has intervened into your life. And think about the testimony that you could give with what he's done with what you have. But sometimes we hide behind the testimony because we're worried about judgment, what people are going to think about us. It doesn't matter what they think about us. Because if they're hearing with the right ears, all they can hear is that God brought you through. The hero of our testimonies is not us, by the way. If we ever proclaim the gospel and we are the hero, we did not proclaim the gospel. Jesus is always the hero in our story. We are not here without him. We did not do this on our own. We did not get to this place by ourselves or by our own doings or our own wisdom. We got here because of what Jesus has done in and through us. He goes on in Acts chapter 17. It says, this is Paul in Mars Hill. And he's proclaiming, he's been in Athens and, and he's now with the Areopagus of this, this government of the area and, and he's having this intellectual conversation with them. Paul knew their culture, he knew the things that they that they were into and he says this. He says, "The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man." Now he's making this proclamation because as he was waiting because he is in, in in Athens waiting on everybody to come and join him, the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that Paul sitting and he's observing. He's like people watching, right? Anybody, any people watchers in here? Like sometimes it's just fun to go into Walmart just to watch the people. And this is what Paul's doing. But he takes note because he notices something. And every once in a while, you need to pause in the place that we live here and do some people watching to see what the Spirit is up to, to know the people, to know the culture of what's happening here in our own community. And this is what Paul's doing. And he comes back and he realizes that they've made statues of all of these gods. They have a God for everything. You need a baby? Go pray to this one. You need rain? No, we don't. But you go pray to this one if you did. You find, you find the gods. And then out of all of these, there was one that said to the unknown God is what the description said. Just in case they miss one. And Paul sees this. That they have multiple gods that they're worshiping and serving and, and they're throwing their hopeless prayers into knowing good and well. They're not going to be answered because these are all false gods. These are idols that need to be destroyed. And Paul stands with boldness before them and says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. In other words, too, all these statues that you have, that's just rock because none of these things will do anything for you. 
He says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Listen, guys, you're, you're having to worship these statues. You're having to do things to appease them so that they will answer your prayers of the rain and the sun and having children. He says that this God of heaven is not served by human hands. He doesn't need anything. And see, sometimes we think that God needs me. No, he doesn't. He is all sufficient. But because we are his children, he includes us into the plan because he loves us. And since, him, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and he'll go on to say, in him we live, we breathe, and we move. And Paul's message is this, is that Jesus is Lord. That is his declaration. Caesar is not. These gods are not. And then he moves in, the, in verse 32 of that same chapter, and it says, now when they, say this word with me, now when they, we just expect everybody to pick the gospel up on their own. You have been empowered to be what? A witness. You know what witnesses do? They talk. We, a lot of us live as if we're in a witness protection program. I don't even know you're Christian because it's like you've got this whole new identity. You just kind of hide behind we have been called to be witnesses. That is that we are to be verbal and boldly proclaim the gospel. It doesn't say, now when Paul went to church, then they all heard. When Paul lived this way around them, they all heard. No, I know, I know the, old, the old saying is, is preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Mm -mm. Preach the gospel, period, and live out all the values but preach it faith comes by hearing the word of God is a why would we not proclaim a message that we know would turn the world upside down that we know from experience what he's done in our lives because we spent time with him and we have been obedient he says now when they heard because there was a proclamation of the gospel declared now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead because that was a thought of going hold on this dude was dead and he raised himself from the dead and they're eyewitnesses to that account. Tell me more. And it says some people mocked. Because listen, you're going to share the gospel with some people. And they're going to mock it. And it may not be like pointing at you and making fun of you. They may talk behind you back about they believe in this weird stuff. It's not your job to have to make a defense for that. Spurgeon says, uh, he, he makes this quote of, The gospel is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. It'll defend itself. You know what I mean? None of us are crazy. Enough, well, a majority of us are not crazy enough to go and hit a lion in the face, to jump into the lion pen. Because that lion, you might see big kitty cat. That lion sees this is going to be delicious, right? It doesn't, that lion doesn't need anybody to defend it. It will take care of itself. The gospel will defend itself. Society and culture can try to push the gospel out. It can do everything it can to tell us and silence us that we can't do this, we can't do that. But I'm telling you right now that I read a gospel that says that we win and it will not be stopped. Jesus said, I will build my church. There was no asterisk by that to give any kind of, I'll build my church, but if this happens, it won't. If this person gets elected, it won't. He says, I will build my church in the face of everything because I am supreme and I am God and I am king.
And that's what we stand on. If we know that, if you knew that you could play the lottery and win every single time, would you not play the lottery? Don't sit here and polish your halos at this point. Would you not play the lottery? You had a free million every week. Because you know for a fact, like you went on the Back to the Future DeLorean and you got a copy of the winning numbers and you came back and you realized you will win every single time you play the lottery. You're going to play it. And you're going to give 20% to the church at that point because you just love Jesus. You know it was him. Listen to me. We have hit the lottery and we win every single time because we have the gospel and we have Jesus. But we live in the witness protection program. Proclaim it. Care. Love for people. The power of the gospel was so powerful in this early church that they tried to persecute it and it was like throwing fuel to a fire because it got bigger. It, it, the early church was like an anthill that you kicked to hopefully you would destroy it and then you realized after 40 days of rain it came back bigger that it couldn't be stopped because it just came because persecution was nothing more than fuel to the fire to grow the church because it tested their faith and they knew they loved Jesus more than they loved their lives. I'm, I'm here to tell you that I think that that early church is no different from us. The same Holy Spirit in them is right here. The question is, have we grown too, com too comfortable with our surroundings that we have muzzled the Holy Spirit from allowing him to empower us to be his witness. Because if that's the case, there is a broken society out here that we're complaining about, that we disagree with, but we're not using anything that God has given us to be change, changers of this world, to flip it upside down, to put it back into the order that it was made to be. So this morning, as we close, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray, number one, that you can have the same response to the gospel that the early church did, where your response is, Jesus, I'm, I'm devoting myself to your teaching and to your fellowship and to the breaking of bread in this community and to prayer. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with you, and in that time, I'm going to, to, to seek to find out what it is that you want me to do. And I'm going to be obedient to those teachings. Because can I just tell you that when you spend time with Jesus and you obey, it builds the boldness. It builds the boldness. It gives you more backbone to, to proclaim his gospel. Because it's his gospel. And I'm just telling you what he did in my life. And if you knew me before and you know me now, you know I didn't do this. That he is working in my life. So I want to pray that God would open your eyes and that this week that you would make, make priority to spend time with him, to ask him. Even today in these next moments as we sing, asking him, I heard the word, Jesus, what, what are you asking me to do? Where are you asking me to be obedient to? So Father, I pray right now all over this, this gym, I pray that your spirit I know he's speaking, but I pray that all ears would be open to hear the things that you're calling us to right now. We have been called to be your witnesses. We have been empowered by your Holy Spirit. But we've got to spend time with you to hear our orders of what it is, who it is that we need to speak with. 
share with. God, right now in this moment as we sing, I just pray that we would make room for your agenda and push everything that we have out of the way so that you take priority. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.